0: This is the final week of our Grateful series. My hope and my prayer is not just that we've kind of gained more information about what it means to be grateful, but that somehow through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have become a more grateful people. We began by learning uh, that creation is is a gifted place according to the goodness and the grace of God. This means that life is filled with gifts and there is, hashtag, always something to be grateful for, (laughs) Last week we discovered that uh, gratitude is always social. Uh, that gratitude is not just a private feeling of being grateful, but gratitude connects us to other people. And we discovered that we, as we share in this, this kind of social gratitude, this collective gratitude each week in a meal that we call the Eucharist, which means the great Thanksgiving that we gather in order to be thankful and grateful to God, not only for his sending his son, for his death on the cross that has earned our salvation, but for the giftedness of all of life. To conclude our series, I want to look at a couple of verse, verses at the end of First Thessalonians. I'll read uh, chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. It says this, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I imagine that these words from the Apostle Paul hit you differently based on your current circumstances. So if everything is going pretty well, rejoice always or give thanks in all circumstances feels pretty doable, right? Uh, however, if you're going through a really tough time, and a lot of us are in these days, uh, then, and you don't feel grateful at all, then the encouragement or the invitation to be grateful, uh, to give thanks in all circumstances, and to rejoice always, feels far more difficult, maybe even a little out of touch. You know, our personalities might also affect how we receive these words. The optimist might say, well, of course, yeah, give thanks in all circumstances, while the pessimist might say, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) The truth of the matter is that the invitation to give thanks in all circumstances is, in fact, a pretty tall order. Because in the same way that there is always something to be grateful for, the opposite is also true. There is always something to complain about. (laughs) And So what do these words mean for us? Well, Paul's instructions come at the end of his letter uh, to the Christians in Thessalonica. And it's actually way more interesting if you, actually, if you understand the context of the letter. So I want to provide that for you. Uh, the backstory is this. Paul and his uh, ministry companion Silas went to the Greek city of Thessalonica or Thessalonica uh, to share the good news that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the world's true Lord. That was Paul's announcement. The good news is an announcement of the lordship and the kingship of Jesus Christ. And after just a few weeks of ministering to the community, sharing this good news, a large number of both Jews and Greeks have given their allegiance to King Jesus and committed to live in their lives according to the teachings of Jesus. So this was great news for the ministry of Paul and Silas. And so they realized together that they probably couldn't do this alone. They maybe couldn't work out everything that it meant to live according to the ways of Jesus on their own. And so they began to get together and they formed a community. But Paul's announcement was not so well received in the community at large. You see, Paul's announcement that the world's true Lord was the risen Christ didn't go over so well. People began to accuse the Christians of defying Caesar, going against the empire, and by because they were declaring another king. Things got so bad for Christians, but for Paul and Silas in particular, that Paul and Silas were quite literally run out of town, running for their lives. So, uh, let's have a timeout or a pause. Do you remember uh, in Saved by the Bell when uh, Zach Morris would say timeout and everything would freeze? This is one of those, only the sermon edition. So timeout. Today is Christ the King Sunday on the Christian calendar. It's the final Sunday of the Christian year before we begin a new year in the beginning of Advent, which we'll do next week. So today, all over the world and in our gathering today, Christians are declaring that the risen Christ is the true king over all the earth. Thanks be to God. And so as Christians, our allegiance belongs to Christ and the divine kingdom. And as citizens of this divine kingdom, we align our lives, we align our habits, and we align our culture of how we organize our shared life together around the values, not of the nation in which we live in particular, but around the values of God's divine kingdom. Amen? This is what it means to be Christians. This is what it means to have our allegiance to Christ. This is the center of Christ the King Sunday and the declaration we make today. Now, historically, anytime Christians were faithful to live by and declare their allegiance to Jesus as king, they usually got into a little bit of trouble with the empire in which they lived. Now, this means a couple of things for us today. Number one, I am really, really grateful for the religious freedoms that we have in this country and that this country is set up to have as a core value the freedom of religious expression. I'm really thankful for that on this Christ the King Sunday. But Number two, it it occurs to me, having history in view, that wouldn't it break the heart of God if the church were so committed to one way of running the empire that it began to make the economy sacred or dismissed sin in order to keep power or ignored the cries of the most vulnerable among us, including the unborn? Wouldn't that really break the heart of God if the citizens of the divine kingdom began to be so convinced that one way of running the empire is fully in line with God's way. And then then a third observation. If if we as Christians were to begin to feel totally at home in the empire and there wouldn't be any discomfort between patriotism or appreciation for nation which is good and healthy and okay but if we didn't feel any discomfort between that and allegiance to Jesus who is king over all of the nations, then it might serve as a clue to us that we may not be living fully into the ways of the divine kingdom. Time in. <laughs> Unpause. So Thessalonians then is this letter that Paul wrote to, uh, to the Christians in Thessalonica after leaving the city, running for his life because of persecution, and he writes the letter in order to be an encouragement to the Christians there. And what he does is he recognizes throughout the letter that the Christians continue to face deep and severe persecution in their midst because of their allegiance to Jesus as king. This, was, this, this announcement of the kingship of Jesus was not sitting well with the empire, and they were persecuting Christians. And so, what we have is this. Paul says, in 1 Corinthians chapter, or 1 Thessalonians, chapter one, verse six, "In spite of persecution, you have received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit." What an encouragement. Later on in chapter three, the first three verses, he'll say, "Therefore, uh, when we could bear it no longer, we sent Timothy. Paul and Silas are there. They later send Timothy to help the Christians. We sent Timothy, our brother and co-worker in God, in proclaiming the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you for the sake of your faith so that no one would be shaken by these persecutions. And then in that same chapter, chapter 3, just a few verses later, he says, we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and our suffering. Dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong, in your faith. There is deep persecution going on in this Greek city of Thessalonica. And so Paul's encouragement to the Thessalonians to give thanks in all circumstances at the end of his letter, knowing even that they were facing severe persecution, and this reality shows us one really important truth about gratitude. And this is where I want to end our series. The truth is this, our gratitude doesn't fix anything. Our gratitude doesn't fix anything. In the midst of severe persecution, Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. He says, rejoice always. And the Greek word there means there's no exceptions there's no caveats there's no uh, there's no buts to be considered right it's just hey this is you need to rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances and it points us to this important truth that our gratitude doesn't fix anything Learning to live grateful lives will not make our pain or our suffering or injustice go away. These things are still very, very real in our lives. But while gratitude can't fix or change our situation, gratitude does hold another kind of power. The power to give us a new narrative, a new story. Listen to author Diana Butler Bass on, on this point, and on what gratitude can do, she says this, quote, "Gratitude invalidates the false narrative, that these things are the sum of some total of human experience, and that despair has the last word." End quote." I'll say it again quote. Gratitude invalidates the false narrative that these things are the sum total of human experience and that despair has the last word, end quote. I love those words from Diana Butler Bass. Because Paul Paul can instruct the Thessalonians to give thanks in all circumstances, even as they face persecution, because the gratitude and the thankfulness gives them a new narrative by which they can live. They're, In other words, under the persecution, they're not arranging their lives around the narrative of suffering and persecution, but rather they're arranging their lives around the narrative of blessing and the goodness of God and the giftedness of life and the lordship and the kingship of Jesus Christ. So what is the driving narrative by which they arrange their lives? It isn't persecution. It isn't suffering. It's the kingship of Christ. And so what gratitude does is it gives us this new story by which we can begin to align our lives. This is so easily said and so hard to do. So hard to do. I said to Amy this morning that I'm pretty sure I have to preach this stuff because I need it more than anybody. Right? It's just like, for three weeks, I've been preaching on gratitude, and if you ask my family at home, I'm, I've got a grumble <laughs> Right? It's just like, I, I, I feel the weight of decisions, like whether to go online or not. I, I feel the weight of this community and and trying to keep us connected. And I, I feel the weight of the pandemic and I feel all these things and it just can so easily become the narrative by which I live by. But what gratitude does is it gives us a new story, a new narrative to arrange our lives around. And I think it's really powerful. I've actually seen this in action. There's an older gentleman in our congregation, most of you have not had the chance to meet him as he's not been able to come to church for many years, but he is a faithful member of our congregation. And each time I visit or I call, I notice how he is filled with gratitude. He tells me with with delight in his voice about the caregivers that come each day to clean the house and help make meals. He tells me about his daughter that comes over once a week to drive him to doctor's appointments and get groceries. He tells me about a book that he's listening to or a song on the radio that he particularly loved. His eyes are, are, are too poor to read in these, these days. Not once have I heard him complain about his failing health or the fact that he is homebound and really almost chair-bound. Or the fact that for years now, he has lived as a widower. You see, those would be pretty easy narratives to live by, wouldn't they? A pretty easy narrative to live by is, I can't leave my house, my health is failing, my wife has passed. But this gentleman refuses those narratives through the power of a grateful heart and a grateful life, and chooses not to live by those stories, but instead gratitude changes the story. And he begins to live through this narrative of how gifted he, his life is because of the people that come in to care for him. It's actually a really beautiful thing. And I am inspired every time I make a visit, every time I make a call. Because through a life of gratitude, he can live by a narrative of plenty rather than a narrative of how much has been lost. Is this a word for 2020? That gratitude helps us to live not by a narrative of what we've lost, but by a narrative of what we have. And just like you, I so long for the days when this pandemic is over i can i long for it in a way that i can just feel it in my bones we'll talk about more we'll talk about this more next week but i think this advent is going to really tune us in more than any other of what it means to long for something and anticipate something so we live with these kind of realities there is always something to complain about And there is always something to be grateful for. May we live according to the story of blessing and of grace. I want to leave you once more with the words of Diana Butler Bass. This is a little more lengthy quote, so stick with me. She says this, quote, Gratitude gives us a new story. It opens our eyes to see that every life is, in unique and dignified ways, graced. The lives of the poor, the cast-offs, the sick, the jailed, the exiles, the abused, the forgotten, as well as those in more comfortable physical circumstances. Your life, my life, we all share in the ultimate gift, life itself. Gratitude evens the score. None are better than others. Instead, we are all beneficiaries. And in turn, we are all benefactors to each other. The first act of being human is receiving the gift of breath. And as we go through life, we continually receive. We sit at a table of gifts, and we pass the gifts on to others. Gratitude, I don't want you to miss this, gratitude calls us to sit together, to imagine the world as a table of hospitality, end quote. What a beautiful picture that life is sitting at a table of gifts. Now is suffering real? 100%. Is sadness, depression, injustice, evils, are they real? Absolutely. But gratitude helps us to reframe the narrative by which we live so that we can sit at a table of hospitality and of gifts. And I pray that each and every one of us would find a seat at that table. Amen. Let's say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful today for the good gifts that you give. It is easy, easy, easy to become overwhelmed by all there is to be disappointed and sad and angry about. And Lord, we validate today those emotions and those feelings. We don't want to discard them as though they don't count. But God, would you help us not to live by them, not to be anchored by those feelings, but rather to recognize them and then move to a place where we can align our lives according to a narrative and story of the giftedness of life may we know today based on the hope of jesus christ the reality of the resurrection and the good news of the lordship of christ on christ the king sunday may we know today that this pandemic does not have the last word that the losses and disappointments of 2020 are not the whole narrative of our lives that we have much to be grateful for Help us, Lord, to live in these ways, to sit at a table of gifts that you have set out for us. And now, God, as we gather around your table in a meal called the Great Thanksgiving, may this be the first step of living to a new narrative. So fill our hearts with joy today. Fill our hearts with gratitude today as we gather around your table. We pray it all in Jesus' name.